RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. Welcome to Closing the Distance. I'm Jeff Myers, one of the pastors here at Roswell Presbyterian Church, and I am just so excited to have Chad Eikoff, a founder, director, producer, creator with Trick 3D. Chad, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me for Closing the Distance this morning. Oh, man, I'm excited. This is great. Thank you for asking. Yeah, you, you kind of don't know. You just said, yes, I'm in, and you have no idea what you're in for. I still don't know what I'm in for, so here we go. I'm up for the surprise. Yeah, well, when I, this summer, we've uh, as a sermon series, we've taken a proverb from the book of Proverbs, and we've matched it with kind of a Disney Pixar um, animated movie. We call the series Animated. Uh, this week, we talked about The Incredibles. We've done um, Frozen. We've done Tangled. We've done all these different uh, Disney movies. And so when I was thinking, who is the person I know that is most involved in the animated movie space? You're the only guy. You're 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 apex mountain for me. So uh, tell me, what has been your kind of experience working in animated and uh, the digital creative space? Uh, yeah, well, it started very young and it wasn't digital at all it's just pencil and paper and to me to this day that's the thing that's magical about animation and one of my favorite animators glenn Keane, he is, was a disney animator and he did ariel and beast and like uh, just incredible tarzan and he's just a phenomenal artist but he talks about the magic of a thought or a create creative thing happening in the brain and how just a natural extension of just a pencil to paper. And with animation, the idea of bringing that still thing to life was, it just still looks it's like magic to me when, when the whole process plays out. So that bringing a, a imbuing kind of life into art in a way that then can affect somebody emotionally and like convey a story that's like, it sort of just hits on a different level. I think Steve Jobs talked about that when he, was uh, bought Pixar. They were coming out with Toy Story, like why animation for Steve Jobs. Um, and he was just recognizing the pattern that animation like Snow White is still relevant today. Like people still watch Cinderella and for, you know, whatever cultural things change over time, the, something in the art just feels more timeless. Um, so that draws me to this idea that the storytelling feels a little more timeless, like you, they're great movies have a standard of being able to stand the test of time to a degree, but something about how we perceive them, you're like, oh, that's an old movie. And animation, you're just like, that's a movie. So yeah, anyhow, you, that's... it's funny you mentioned that this is past week. Um, 
my son, I don't know. I was like, do you want to watch 101 Dalmatians? Not the, not the live action one, but the original one, you know, in the 40s or 50s, whenever that one came out. And he loved it. And he was like, can I watch? But he goes, he goes, can I watch 1000 Foundations again? <laughs> I'm like, it's about dogs, man. Dalmatians, not foundations. Dalmatians. Well, dogs are foundational to yeah, that is true. human happiness, I think. Yeah, he is like, I want a dog now. I want a dog. It's like, hold on, buddy. Uh, what have I done here? It was kind of amazing how well it holds up. Uh, yeah. It was really incredible. Now, what? You, okay, so you went, you grew up in the Atlanta area. You went to UGA. So you're a Georgia guy. Um, and then you you founded like this 3d studio like tell us about trick 3d yeah so i studied uh animation at university of central florida and then i came back to uga and just by happenstance they were starting a digital art program and it included animation and this was olden times pre-toy story yeah so there had not been a, an animated feature done in 3d yet and the whole concept of, was was still evolving. And I love that. That taps into my personality. I just kind of have a like to try new things and learn new things. Um, so I was all in for that. So as my life and career evolved, I did a couple of movies. The thing that was just still drawing me was my passion for animation. So being in Atlanta, it wasn't easy to find your way in the door there. And I was trying to figure it out and oddly I kind of saw a through line through architecture um, and this seems totally random but at the time the best 3D art I was seeing was in architecture and it was making renderings of buildings that weren't built yet and an individual single artist could take those ideas from an architect and turn them into like beautiful photorealistic art and I was like, and I, my degree was in photography after I studied animation. So the lighting and everything was so beautiful in it. And I was like, man, that's all being done in 3D. What I was studying for animation, if you can combine those two things, like that's amazing. And Atlanta is known for architecture and real estate. So that gave me kind of a through line to start and find a business that could do 3D, but with my line of sight still kind of being set towards being able to tell stories with that technology. That's awesome. Now, I think you're, you're probably, well, the, the, the elf franchise, you know, elf on the shelf, jolliest yeah. elf is probably um, what I'm most familiar with. Tell us yeah. how you got into do the elf in that, in that world. Yeah. So now Trick 3D has evolved. That was sort of the, the elf on the shelf was the, my first big opportunity um, to do the passion project and put myself into a, like just full on narrative 3D storytelling. And it is kind of one of those things on like just where you end up because I would have never had that opportunity if I would have tracked with like a Disney or um, style pathway for animation um but yeah i got a call i actually went to high school with krista and shanda the founders of the elf on the shelf and they had just self-published this book and i had my first big project and i was feeling all like oh i'm so important and then they called me like hey we just made this little book and we we're just thinking on our website if it would be cool if like the elf could like fly off the shelf and maybe like land somewhere as like an intro 
And I was like, ah, I don't know. I've got all these other important things to do. Like, so, but and yeah, Krista still busts my chops with that phone call. But so I'm sort of slow to respond. And then I was like, nah, it'll be fun. Let's go. And then as we started doing, it was just so much fun. And then we all just, our brains were just going on what it could be. And then miraculously, their book ended up at number one. And then all of a sudden, like all the things we were talking about making this TV special were both possible and then became almost impossible because now big studios were also offering like, hey, we want to make your movie. Um, so thankfully, they were entrepreneurialistic, just like me, and we all had kind of dreams to um, going in the same direction. So yeah, they pulled me on to uh, produce it and write it and direct it. And so co-write it with them um, and a couple other people. And it just was to, you know, a great, great opportunity to tell a story. It was, it was very fertile ground too, because their book is more like, it's almost like an instruction manual. It's like poetic, but it's not really a narrative. There's not a character name. And it became interesting to like write the story because there isn't a main character and you can't really use leaned upon archetypes of like, this character is the one character that becomes the best of all the elves because he did this thing or she did uh, accomplish something that no one else had. Because the way the elf on the shelf is, every kid has their own elf and that is the coolest elf. So it was a really amazing opportunity to just creatively dive in, put myself into something. Um, and I love metaphor. So I was constantly kind of looking for ways to weave in something that you take from it. Those back to the idea of something timeless. Um, to me, Christmas specials were timeless. And, you know, the uh, ones from the 60s, like Peanuts and the Grinch, they, they're like that Snow White thing. They still stand the test of time. We just keep passing them down to new generations. And, but there hadn't been one that really succeeded since. Like there was, and not for lack of trying, all the big studios were throwing like, Mickey Mouse at it, Shrek at it, any kind of character they had in their arsenal, and they would do fine for a year or two and then go away. So I was hopeful that we were, you know, because of the strength of their brand, I really wanted to make sure that uh, we told a timeless story. So that was the Elf on the Shelf, and it, and it worked. Like, they, CBS picked it up, and it aired, and then it's aired ever since. It aired with The Grinch. It's in the Apple like top list every year so i was just and then when it became a macy's thanksgiving day parade balloon that was sort of the mind-blowing oh now we've definitely like yeah. accomplished the goal <laughs> i remember i think you posted pictures on instagram and i was like because i didn't have kids at the time and i would you know that you know young kids world was just not part of my life and yeah. And then I remember you you were like at in New York at the Macy's Day Parade with the, the balloon or whatever. I was like, wait, wait, what? This is like what? Like yeah. you told me about working on some elf thing. I was like, that's kind of like quixotic, you know, kind of random. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, oh no, this is Chad's arrived. Yeah. That's how thing. long did it take from like getting that phone call to like for having it on on television? It was both shorter and longer than I think mm -hmm. you can kind of think of it in both ways. Like it was around 
two years from us like actually saying go to the project and then starting to like write it and develop it and that took a, a little over a year maybe 18 months but then because it was christmas content we had to be talking i'm talking like months in advance and year i'm um, almost a year in advance with networks on like when and how it would air so those kind of overlapped so the uh, um, by the time it aired it was two years but it was finished probably six months before that wow okay yeah yeah no, it's, it's, yeah. Be, it's not if it's not coming out at christmas time <laughs> yeah 100 percent. you can't it's a, it's a window you have to hit um yeah so that was was amazing and it also was just a fruition of you know the the things that I may have perceived as obstacles to getting to do something that I wanted to do that was I was passionate about like narrative storytelling with animation doing the architecture infused the way I told the story so I ended up building it very different and it's starting to be done a little more now but it's still generally not done this way but I came to it and built the world first so we like focused on the north pole and uh -huh. built the north pole and so architecturally the world development that's a big part of animated movies but they still generally in filmmaking and especially anything with animation you storyboard every frame and you only build what you're going to see in the frame and then you're kind of like locked in it. If you're gonna add new frames later, you have to build it later because so expensive traditionally to build all those pieces and parts. But because of doing this architecture, I kind of had a process in place for like building worlds that was a little quicker and still like a really um, almost unique process holistically to how Hollywood was doing it. Um, so that was so cool because then as a director, I had also studied and produced live action. I was able to go into the world and just start finding shots as opposed to like storyboarding. We did still storyboard for pacing, but it, it was we didn't use the storyboards to inform what we built in the background. I just built the world and then we went in and I found the shots inside of the world. That's incredible. OK, man, I didn't really appreciate that. So, that, I mean, that's incredible. OK. And that's the 3D, you know. Yeah, and that's why you'll see it in some of the shots of part of what makes it unique. Even the fly-in at the very beginning, if you watch it, it like starts from a very wide shot of the North Pole and flies straight down and onto the street. And there's just no trickery in it. It just, we built the whole thing. And even the insides of most of the buildings you see are all completely constructed. So I could like fly into different places. Um, it was a little bit of a, a benefit for sure that I was working with the brand ahead of time. So we had talked about other things we could do with the environments um, for their website and stuff. So there was right. multi-use. When you but say, yeah. for somebody like me, who is a layman when it comes to digital creation, when you say built, is that like you're writing a computer program to do it? Or I mean, how are you- That's a very it? good distinction. That's, I'm so glad you said that. I do that far too often. My first, at the same time of doing the Elf on the Shelf, we were doing a project with the uh, Warner Brothers and the Dark Knight movies, which was its own weird brain to mash up to have like painting blood stains in Arkham Asylum next to like dancing elves in the studio. <laughs> but- <laughs> um, but the clients came in because we kept talking about building Gotham City and they were like, where is it? And I felt like Zoolander because I was like, it's in the computer. <laughs> and they were like, 
what? Because they thought there was a giant model that somebody built somewhere that was being used to create all the images. So yeah, it's inside the computer is where we build it. Yeah, using 3D modeling. Um, and that's the, you know, it's the great kind of equalizer now, just as the world has continued to progress technologically is most of the things that are new technology are reliant on 3D imagery. So if it's augmented reality or virtual reality or, um, you know, product manufacturing architecture, like it's all three-dimensional modeling inside the computer. And it's been, I just love this kind of crossover. There are only two industries that know how to build, manage and control 3D assets completely. And that's gaming and 3D animation. Like everybody in every major corporation that is trying to infuse 3D assets into their ecosystem is trying to like build from ground zero and those who have the knowledge are actually game companies and, and animators so and animation studios so it's been very fascinating to all of a sudden like you it sort of feels like oh cute you play with cartoons and then now it's like oh wait you do cartoons so like how do you manage all that 3d data because now all of a sudden i have all this 3d data and you're <laughs> like yeah it's a little more complex than that so it's awesome now, yeah, you also cool. recently received a Grammy nomination for The Jolliest Elf. Tell us about The Jolliest Elf. Well, almost a nomination. Oh. I was nominated to be nominated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so we're still one step from that. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, I just loved working on The Elf on the Shelf so much. And the North Pole in particular, just and Christmas has always been infused. It's just like happy times um, for me. And so... Um, as all this technology was evolving, I had come up with this idea of doing the building the world for the Elf on the Shelf, but also streaming came about, broadcast, people weren't really sitting down to watch Christmas specials with their kids as much anymore. Um, it was more about YouTube or whatever Netflix was putting out, just the whole kind of market of like where content exists change. So I was thinking about what did I like watching? Like, what was our family gathering around to watch? And we were watching a lot of the music competition shows, uh, music, music competition shows, like The Voice or America's Got Talent or American Idol. Yeah. Um, so then I just got me wondering about the North Pole's version of that. And lo and behold, they do have one called The Jolliest Elf. And <laughs> all the elves compete to sing the best Christmas songs. And so we made it. And the thing that had changed that evolved on building the world is if you think of a show like that, you have to, it's a live show mostly that you go in with cameras and record. So what had been added to the technology is the ability to do motion capture with real performers. And so Jolliest Elf evolved what I was doing with an Elf story by allowing us to record it live like actual performers singing and performing and their characters all real time so it's not only moving the camera around to find the shots but it's also capturing a live performance um and so the jolliest elf was uh we did it over covid um, we got a grant to do the first small short pilot episode and then um what i didn't realize at first was 
I, this is just me being silly, is that it, we had to create an album and songs to go with it. I was kind of just thinking, yeah, I do shows and commercials and like you put music in them. But then I was like, oh wait, we have to like write songs, okay. Um, so I kind of was stepping into something that I've always loved. I love writing, I love poetry, I love songs, but I never considered myself a musician. Um, so I started like working on the lyrics and like, I was finding that I really enjoyed the kind of finding the hooks and the melodies. And I would write these terrible like voice notes that I, I found an amazing producer. Sam Ash was a Grammy award-winning Latin uh, album. Um, music producer and so he said yeah I love this I love Christmas I love like what you're trying to do let's go so I was sending him these voice notes of like hey here's sort of like a rough kind of sketch of a song and he didn't laugh too hard at me which was good uh, <laughs> but he found like the, the the gold inside the coal or diamonds in the coal gold in the mine yeah. I don't know but the um but yeah so we started doing that we did um the whole album and then last year we toured with a vr uh version of the jolly style i love this idea of a live stage show that we could take on the road so we put it in virtual reality headsets and did it with the, the ryan seacrest foundation um he has seacrest studios at children's hospitals so here in atlanta we went to children's and we had uh two days of live performances um in the hospital through virtual reality so the kids who were stuck in hospital during christmas time could actually escape and go on a trip uh through the north pole up to the stage and watch the show um so this year we're releasing the album from that oh so it's coming out the album's coming out yeah with this christmas we're going to release um and and the the main single is this one called Snow Light. That's my favorite song on the album. So the jolliest elf, and then Snow Light is going to be the single. It's all, and the album is already out, but this will be the live version of the songs from the experience. So well, that's cool. And wasn't yeah. it like the first like three D Make a Wish found? Um, oh, know, Wish Foundation. That was a different project, but yeah, that was a in between an elf story and jolliest elf. I did this, it's called Zayden's Wish, and it was a for Make-A-Wish, and uh, this little beautiful boy named Zayden, his wish, it's just like a lesson to all humans, was so huge. He just did not, like, they came and like, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to go to Saturn on a red rocket ship and meet an alien. <laughs> and to <laughs> the absolute astonishment of me, like hearing the story his mom was like okay that's what we'll wish for like didn't try and change his mind and say well what about disney world or what about meeting an athlete or something yeah. which are all amazing things but just so much credit to his parents to just say let's do it and then so much credit to make a wish to say then we'll figure it out and so they were, were trying to figure out how to do it and somehow it got in front of me and I just immediately connected the dots that all this stuff that we were doing with virtual reality, we could actually make it feel like that happened for him. And so we never called it virtual reality for him. To me, it was like the perfect mashup of what that technology can do. It was years ago, but it was the precursor for kind of what Apple's trying to do with their new headset right now, which was mixing the real world with 
the virtual. Right. So we, because of the uh, architecture background, we Dobbins Air Force Base was one of the partners and we modeled the entirety of an inside of a hangar so that it looked exactly the same. So when he put on his space goggles, he saw the exact same hangar that he saw before he put them on. And then that way we could have the ground open up and the red rocket ship rise out in front of him. And then he virtually boarded the ship and went on his trip, came back, all with a real astronaut, um, six-time ISS captain was sitting next to him, giving him his guidance along the way. It's just amazing. Um, and then, but when he got back and he took off his space goggles, then he looked at the ground and was like, my rocket ship's down there. And that was it. That's like what can, totally sold it. And it wasn't a VR experience for him. It was him going to Saturn on a red rocket ship. Like, you know, it's like if, you know, he was, I think, seven or eight at the time, maybe eight. And I just, you have to, as an adult, keep reminding yourself, like when a kid is meeting Mickey Mouse and it's a six foot tall Mickey Mouse at Disney World, they're meeting Mickey Mouse. Right. Like they're, they're not meeting what you think is happening inside of Mickey Mouse. And so the idea of taking a kid on that kind of journey, he went to space. Like it wasn't like uh, all these things that connected to make it happen. So that was magical. Um, and it did was awesome that won like most innovative wish of the year or something, which was yeah. cool. It's so, um, it's so cool. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. So that heavily informed what we're doing with Jolly Estelle and the Children's Hospital. Because then I was like, this is such a great use of this technology that it like actually took him away from what like the medical procedures he was having to go through and and just make a wishes the whole like goal is to do that for kids nonstop. So I love that. But it was one kid and I was thinking, man, how can I do it for more? And so when we had Jolly Estelle and this idea of like a live concert, it's like, well, VR isn't, you know, a, a, a distribution mechanism like TV or streaming or something. But what could we do that would be amazing? Taking kids in hospitals to the North Pole during Christmas? Yeah, yes, please. I'll do that. <laughs> that is amazing. Dude, and it's just so cool that like something that somebody could think is kind of a frivolous technology or whatever hit with the right, you know, under the right hands and the right mission can really bless a lot of and make a huge difference in in the in these kids' lives. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, I think it's I just feel personally like there's just I don't know what if it's just human nature, but there's a lot of rush to judgment on all things, whether it's social, cultural, technological, sort of you bring yourself to it, you kind of rush to get to a conclusion. And so in the technology space, things come, they go, they may be good, they may be bad, but it's like, it's just so interesting at this point, having been around long enough to have seen a couple of those arcs go, how quickly people want to like, just make a statement on something. And so VR is like, it's the next thing. It's going to be, everybody's going to have it. Or it's like 3D movies, the next thing, everyone's going to go and that's no one's going to want to watch a movie again. And it's just so the wrong way to look at it. In my opinion, it is like, what is it good for? And then try and align those things. And yeah, it's the, uh, 
no point did it seem to me that VR was good for replacing your mobile phone. And people are still projecting like someday your glasses will do that. Maybe, I don't know. But what it is right now is pretty spectacular in the right scenario. Yes. Um, and that's a great scenario for me is aligning it with uh, an experience for somebody who couldn't actually get the real thing. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, Chad. Well, I want to wrap up. I do have to ask you, Chad, you know, we're part of a, you know, a movie club that has kind of been on a hiatus for hiatus. a months. What's our next movie we're watching? Well, you know, I was this very opposite side, just kind of the duality, although it goes back to Nolan, I guess, Dark Knight and an elf story. Let's go Oppenheimer and Jolliest Elf. So we just got to keep the, the, the both sides of the coin rolling. So I think we got to got to pull a full IMAX screening of Oppenheimer. I love it. I can't wait, man. Let's, in, in two months, so we can get tickets to go see it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, Chad, thank you so much for closing the distance uh, uh, this morning. And thank you for, for your work, your ministry, your mission. Um, I invite people to go check out An Elf Story, The Jolliest Elf, if you haven't done it yet. Uh, go read about the Make-A-Wish uh, experience for today. What a cool story. Chad, thanks for being a friend. Uh, we're cheering you on. Look forward to seeing you soon. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chad. All right, take care, Chad. Bye.